Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we begin, of course, as per usual, I want to thank everybody who listened to my episode on Cannon Busters, and I would like to congratulate you on making it through the last two episodes if you listened to both, because they were abnormal, because one was right after I'd gotten back from the convention and given all my talks, and before I got my setup back up and running... I, um, I figured out a dongle, an important dongle, like the one what connects my computer to the external monitor, or my laptop to my external monitor, and I need that to record and watch the waveforms go up and down, so I got that replaced, and then by next week, I had a <laughs> professional event at night, so I had to record that last episode on Cannon Buster in the morning. <laughs> literally in bed, um, which is why those two episodes sounded different. This episode will sound a lot more like the normal episode, but before we get to what we're talking about, to the show we're talking about this week, excuse me, I wanted to touch on two things that I actually just started watching, one I'm almost finished with because I am, wait for it, a professional-grade media consumption device, many times not of my own volition, um, or in a way that I am unaware of until I look up and be like, oh, I have watched all nine episodes, all nine hours of this show without really paying attention. I once watched 30 episodes, a full 30-episode anime season, like, in a weekend. <laughs> Which is roughly 15 hours of programming. That's more than five hours a day. It's bad. Oh, to be fair, I think I got a jump start on it, like, the day before. I think it might have been a three-day weekend, so it may be, like, five hours a day. But still, that that's a lot. And that was when, I, that was fairly recently, actually. I think I, when I was still 29. So... That's a thing that just, like, happens to me sometimes, um, just because I get so lost in whatever I'm watching that, I, like, I just let, I let autoplay happen, and it just, like, I zone out into it, and then by the time I come back, I'm like, oh, it's the middle of the night, this is bad. Um, which is oftentimes why I actually keep autoplay turned off. Because I'm aware like, I will just let it, I will just let it pump into my eyes endlessly. Um, in an almost, like, drug addict-like way. <laughs> um, which I'm aware lots of people let happen to them, but I let it happen to me for, like, sometimes weeks at a time. <laughs> which is why I have been known to refer to myself as a professional-grade media consumption device. Um, but the two things I started watching recently are, um, the second season of Mindhunters, I'm almost done with that. I, like, by mistake, went through eight episodes of that nine-episode show. I have one episode left, which I stopped myself from watching, because I'm like, no, I can't do this. This is a bridge that I should not cross. Um, and if, for those of you who don't know, don't know what that show is, it's a, it's, about the formation of the psychological 
um, of the psychological profiling division of the FBI in the 70s when serial killers were, like, everywhere. <laughs> and they, um, they, they start by, they basically start, in, this is where they start to interview serial killers about, like, how they do things, and they, I forget the name of the main serial killer, but he is this, like, deeply creepy weird thing, and if any of you have ever seen me at a convention, you'll notice I have a beard. This show basically convinces me I should never have a mustache, because I already have 70s-style sunglasses, and just adding to the mustache would just make me look the most serial killer of all times. So, it's like either full beard or clean-shaven. There's never, like, a mustache or, like, a Fred Durst goatee thing that happens, or soul patch thing that happens, because no. Just no. I, like, I know what I look like. I look like, with mustache, I look like Nicolas Cage from Kick-Ass. Which is not a good look. But, the other thing I watched, and I just start, I just finished watching episode two of this, has a strange connection to, of all shows, the show that I recently talked about, Full Metal Alchemist. And when I, th when I say that, I mean a very specific, very important to my heart, and to me, episode of Full Metal Alchemist, and that's the episode, the episodes they spend in, with Paninia in Rust, and Dominic in Rust, in Rush Valley. And if you've never seen the show, basically in the show there is a, like, fantasy equivalent of prosthetics in the show. And Rust and Rush Valley is this whole community of people who just have developed, who have popped up and, like, kind of congregated because they either have those prosthetics called automail or they build those prosthetics. And it's this, like, totally automail-centric, like, community and the whole, like, I think it's, like, three episodes in Brotherhood they've been there. That whole, like, time is devoted to, like, weird shit people do to their auto-mail. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because of the new... I think it's... It would probably film for Canadian TV because it's bleeped out. But, um, like, when they say fuck, it... It's like a bloop. Um, but it's a show called Rust Valley Restorers. And in British Columbia, there is a area called Rust Valley. And the reason why it's called Rust Valley is because it is temperately perfect for preserving rust bucket classic cars. Because you, I live on the east coast of the United States. And out here, if you have an old car... With time, sometimes within the year, the moisture in the air basically makes it rust through. And what I mean by rust through, it means, like, it rusts a hole in the car. In the car, like, seriously. And ultimately, the car gets ruined. In Rust Valley, however, they're preserved for, like, decades. So, this show follows this madman who has 400 rust bucket cars 
in restoring those cars along with other cars that he, like, brings into his shop, and it's insane. But by watching this show and, like, seeing the character, the recurring characters and all this stuff, you can draw a really clear line to Rush Valley in Full Metal Alchemist that is very clearly share traits with Rust Valley, the actual place. But, um... So, those are the two things I've been watching, but I want to talk today about not either of those two things, because they're both live-action, but a little show that's been getting a lot more attention recently because of its production value, but I also think because it's something unique, and actually, I'll be echoing um, Mother's Basement, Jeff, Jeff Sue Professional Shitbag, um, Mother's Basement YouTube channel in this. And that show is um, Demon Slayer, I think, Kimetsu no Yaiba. Um, I'll make sure I get that right in the thing. Play the opening. Okay, so if you've been watching anime or reading manga for even a couple years, I mean, I've been doing it for more than a couple years at this point. If you saw if you saw my talks at um at uh Liberty City Anime Con, you could probably get the idea that I've been doing this for way more than just a couple years. In reality, I've been do, I've been watching anime for two decades. You start to see a pattern in types of shows. In shoujo shows, as I've mentioned in my panel before, characters have weirdly big hands, and there are archetypes in shoujo shows. And that's also true of shonen action shows. And generally, the kinds of shonen action shows that really break have breakout moments are ones that perfect the formula to an absolute. So a great example of this is actually starting back up again in October is the show 
My Hero Academia. I've done an episode on that show in this podcast. You can definitely find it. It is the most listened to episode I have ever done. But generally what doesn't happen in these shows is the characters are not demonstrated as being overly compassionate and overly sensitive. They are they are kind souls, truly kind people who have a deep sense of justice and of like a never-ending drive. Um and there are certain there are definite archetypes to shonen action characters. For example, Goku has become like a archetype of a shonen action hero. Um, Luffy is an is a real archetype of a shonen action sh- hero. Someone like Ichigo from Bleach. Someone like Naruto from Naruto. Uh, but the thing all these characters have in common is they are all kind, caring people, but that is not the first thing that you associate their personality with. The difference with Demon Slayer is that at that show's core, and I, so before I get into this, I want to give a quick spoiler alert because I did read ahead in the manga because I wanted to see kind of where, it, how how extreme it would take it after the most pre, the most recent episode, um, where they get carted off to the like Demon Slayer Corp's home base. Um, and what's interesting is, is, what the interesting thing is, that up until that episode, they have been always, they've always kind of hinted at this idea that, um, the main character, that the main character, um, Tanjiro, is unique in that he has a kind soul, in that he had not, in that he hunts demons not only because they are preying on people, but because he wants to help his little sister who has become a demon. And by hunting demons, he has been told that he can turn his little sister back into a human. But by virtue of the fact that he has a family member who has become a demon and who has elected of her own free will not to harm him, but to protect him and to travel with him, he has a different relationship to demons. Because the thing about demons in Demon Slayer is that demons used to be human at some point. Something at some point changes them. Uh, It's not made, other than the series' main antagonist, um, Mibasuchi Yuzuan, I think his name is. No, that's, that feels like a mashup of the actual thing and the shitty dad from, um, Ocean Bow. But, um, Kibasuchi, I think is the name, or some variation of that. Kibasuji is actually the name. Um, that character is the big bad, the, in the kind of, like, Naraku from Inuyasha mold a bad guy. He basically goes around turning pe- 
either turning people into demons or giving demons more power with his blood kind of thing. And the result is that he is, to some end, you don't know what yet, manipulating the world of Demon Slayer. And I found out in the manga that he is the one who ultimately, who actually turned Tanjiro's sister, ne Nezuko, who is kind of the most adorable. She is, like, engineered to be deeply adorable, um, into a demon. And so, ultimately, Tanjiro finds out that through, like, getting blood from extremely strong demons, he can, they can, a uh, side character he meets can hopefully synthesize a cure, can hopefully figure out a way to medically reverse the, um, transformation. And what that moment in that show does is it says that this isn't permanent, that that thing isn't permanent, that what Tanjiro and you as the audience member were hoping from episode one is true, and that Nezuko can be reverted. And from there... <laughs> Instead of just saying, okay, my sister can be saved, fuck everybody else, Tanjiro has this realization that none of, that not none of the other Demon Slayers have, but none of the other Demon Slayers have and are strong enough to, to put into action, which is that all demons were once people, and in so somehow, some way, they were twisted into being demons. Um, you meet, uh, I forget the demon's actual name, but you meet a, a demon in the, I want to say the second arc of, or the third arc of the show and the manga, um, where... He was a shut-in writer, and he was try, and he was just trying to write his best. And he also played this like drum instrument. And what had happened was, you led to believe his own parent disgraced his writing, and said he wasn't even good enough at his drum, his drum playing to teach that. He didn't even leave the house. He was a useless waste of space. I just like. The kind of cruel shit you would expect from a bad anime dad. Um, something I'll know a little bit about. <laughs> but um, the thing is that um, Kibatsuji came along and said, you know, you can be useful. And so, so the way that... The way that the bat, the main antagonist of Demon Slayer preys on people is first by offering hope, and then by ruling with terror. So what I mean by that is, he approaches people who are weak, 
who have been made to feel weak by the rest of the world, and he offered them an opportunity to take strength, and inevitably the weakest of those people take that strength. And he... Now, also, it's... You, the story immediately tells you he could just, like, walk up to you, stab you in the neck with two fingers, and, like, Orochimaru-style, like, make you a minion. But he generally chooses to do it the opposite way. Um, and as a result, he, by preying on these people, he indebts them to him. And when they fail, he either casts them out holds them at arm's length, or try to inspire them with terror. And the thing about the, the difference between that and what you find out that the Demon Slayer Corpse is doing is the Demon Slayer Corpse, the upper echelon, first off, Demon Slayer Corpse is like, it's like the typical shonen power organization you got, like, all the, like, plebes, low-ranking, like, foot soldiers who are just, like, wearing the, like, school uniform with the big kanji letters on it that they destroy on the back. And they are expendable, basically. They are fodder. Um, they are lucky if they survive. And then the upper echelon are people like, uh, the upper crust are people who wear like who wear a hakama over their uniform like Tanjiro, like Zenitsu, like um, Inosuke or like Inosuke although Inosuke just doesn't wear a shirt and you're led to believe that he's just a really buff chick, which I find hilarious because <laughs> they're like, he's such a buff dude that like it wouldn't matter if he wore a shirt or wouldn't wore a shirt. He's just such a buff woman that it wouldn't matter if he did or didn't wear a shirt. He just looked like he had rippling pecs. Um, but they're you're led to believe that they're more than foot soldiers. They are they they are not quite gifted to be the like top to be like the first or second ring, but they have the third ring and then like the fourth through tenth ring are like foot soldiers who just get chewed up by the process and, like, killed. So, already you have, on both sides, a kind of, like, system that grinds people, or in, um, on the demon side, um, version, demons just into pulp all the time. You have this world that is set up to be as cruel as possible to the people who exist in it. And in kind of our main cast, you have three different variations of what a Demon Slayer could look like. You have or what a unique take on a Demon Slayer should look like. I should point that out. You have Inosuke, who basically lived as, like, a boar child in the woods for his entire life and developed his own quote-unquote style, breathing style, which is how they what they used to explain swordsmanship styles in this show and universe. Um, you have 
Zenitsu, who is this chronically afraid, kind of slightly shitty good person, who you find out later has poured all of his effort into one breathing technique in his breathing style, of which usually breathing styles have led to believe about ten techniques to start, but you can expand on that. Um, but he poured it all into one technique, so he's just like shattered sweet summer child of a character who when he gets knocked out he like becomes the uber badass but only knows one attack so they demonstrate this by there's an episode in the Mount Hanagumo arc where the bad guy's like why does he keep taking that stance I keep interrupting that stance until he fails to interrupt the stance and he just like lightning bolts up to the top of the screen and chops him in half immediately immediately and the point of that episode, and the point of that episode of the previous episode that was showing that like he put all of his effort into one thing and one thing only um on Inosuke's side Inosuke's, like unique style has different trappings than everybody else's, and he, he uses these swords that are all chipped up because they're like saw blades. They're like, almost like jaws, and he has two of them. Um, but then, um, Tanjiro trained with this, like, math trainer named Urodoki, who used to be with the highest rank, which is called a Hashira, and Hashira are the highest-ranking Demon Slayer. Most Demon Slayers die within, like, a couple years, maximum. Hashira, the Hashira's job is to stay alive and to fight the stronger demons and provide a sense of, like, hope for the world. But what you find out is that over over the chapters of the manga that I actually read, not the, they just introduce, they show you the image of all the other, of, many of the other Hashira outside of Gin, or, or, or Gyu, rather, who you meet in the very beginning of the show in the first episode. Um, you meet all these other ones, and they're all varying shades of fucked up in some way, and they're all ruthless. Like, even the sweetest one, which, of course, is, like, the one with, like, um... I forget the captain's name, but the captain from Bleach who had the big braid, she's got, like, got that hair and just huge boobs. And her, and her, like, Hashira title is, like, Love Hashira. And you don't, you don't know what she does, like, what she's capable of, but you know, just from, like, her inner monologue, she is supposed to be shy, but she's still as, like, relentlessly ruthless and bloodthirsty as every other Hashira, aside from Gyu, in the, um, in the lot. And so, this is where the show is different from Bleach, in that Bleach presented the captains of the Soul Society as not 
necessarily antagonistic forces, but as truly strong characters who are doing what they thought was right in the moment. But in the but in Demon Slayer, the Hashira are truly strong characters who have been like selected for their strengths first and their personalities never. And the only reason why Gyu doesn't want to like murder the shit out of Tanjiro and his little sister, who is a demon, is because Gyu has seen firsthand how Nezuko behaves and what her priority is, and her priority isn't attacking Gyu, it is protecting Tanjiro. And so he has a practical example, is what I'm saying. He has a practical, like, worldview where he's like, oh, that's what this is. That's why this is going this way. Okay. I don't need to worry about them. They're fine. And maybe he can pull it off. Maybe what he's talking about is possible. And maybe the way he looks at demons is the right way and not mine. But every other Hashira in this show is fucking bloodthirsty and ruthless. And the reason why I'm going back to that concept is because... A, it points out that in this show in which the whole world of the show is about, like, demons fucking up society and terrorizing humanity, it, it sets up a very easy, clear villain. Like, first, you have Kibasuji, and then you have all of his demon minions, and then you have all the random demons. But what if all the way up the line, short maybe of Kibasuji, of Kibasuji, and even suggested that there's more going on with him, what if they are all just people? Just in a different way. Um, a great... A, a great show to analogize this with is actually a terrible show itself, and that is Tokyo Ghoul. And if you haven't seen that show, which is easy to not see because it's got a weird like, emo kid cult following, but it's not a very coherent show. Basically, Tokyo Ghoul states that you become, like, a sentient... You can, it, it's capable for you to become a sentient zombie who has to survive. In order to survive, instinctively, you want to eat people. <laughs> now, uh, but in the show, it takes the approach that you can make that a choice. You don't have to eat people. You can if you choose, but it's not something you need to choose. You have a choice. Ne Nezuko's like primary role is to demonstrate that demons can that demons have the ability to not harm people, but because of the way society has become, they just do because once they're a demon, they're hunted down, and when they're hunted down back into a corner, they lash out at people, and then become convinced that all people are bad. And the reason, the one character I want to get to here is um, Shinobu, because Shinobu, 
in in the anime, Shinobu is introduced strangely in that she wants she wants to be friends with this demon girl. And she's like, how many people have you tortured? I'll tort how many people have you killed? I'll torture you for one hour for every person you've killed. And that seemed really odd and it seemed sadistic at the time. But what you come to find out and you'll probably find this out in like the next three episodes the way the show is paced. Um but um Shinobu had a younger sister who was ultimately killed by a demon, but who wanted humans and demons to live in harmony with each other. But because of her own personal hang-ups, she had a kind of anger and rage that can't... that that many people don't notice, that many people truly don't notice, and in the manga they make a point of, like, showing you, like, like, she's always pissed off, but the only person who notices is Tanjiro. <laughs> um, but, in that moment, she says, I, I have too much skin in the game, I have too much baggage, and I don't have a reason to disbelieve that baggage. To, to like, leave that baggage, put that baggage aside. But you do. So maybe you can be the person who is kind enough, who is truly kind enough, not kind in a false way, the way I am, to see my sister's hopes and dreams to reality. And so I'm going to veer into a different weird um, direction here. When I was in Morocco, um, we, me and the person I traveled with, um, went to Majorel, which is um, Yisan Laurent's like house in Morocco. It's also his personal garden in Morocco. It's also where it's also where he's buried. It's a source of if you ever heard the term Majorel blue, that blue is from that garden. <laughs> um, but the thing that people often thought about. Yisan Laurent, who's a fashion designer, if you are not aware, is that he is that he committed suicide much in the same way Steve McQueen did, but um, people believed that he was too too sensitive for the world he was born into, and I've never really had a example of that that seemed truer than Tanjiro in um, in Demon Slayer, because all around Tanjiro, the world is shouting, kill, 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 kill. But in reality, it, that's not the answer. But the entire world is too angry to see, to not only see that it's not, but even if it saw that it wasn't, to even start to begin to look for the right answer. Uh, and it, it struck me as a really fascinating way to approach a shonen show. Because it, everybody's heard the term shonen power creep, I'm assuming. If you haven't, basically, 
the shonen power creep is the fa- is the concept that the the shonen hero needs to get more stronger and stronger and so the opponents need to get stronger and stronger so you have this creeping effect where the like techniques get more grand and powerful or like in Dragon Ball Z the like power levels numbers like jump wildly until they're like in the billions and the the thing that Shonen Power Creep typically does is it pits the character in like either a training montage or a bind and the character has to like pull at something new from within themselves or bust out something they've been saving or something like that. And this show has that, but the way that it demonstrates the way that it demonstrates the first like not the first power creep moment, but the f- like um, the most significant one so far, it demonstrates it with Tanjiro remembering his father, who is a traditional dancer, and remembering something his father said about breathing and about a way to breathe so that you could dance forever. And in that moment, he finds what he needs to win, to, like, pull it out, to, like, pull, to, like, pull victory out of the hat, so to speak. And what that does for the show, in comparison to what the show, to what another show might do, is it grounds the, it grounds at least the first major bump up for that character, in emotionality, in kindness, in family, in remembering your childhood in a way that I'm not going to say no other shonen show does, but that many other shonen shows don't really have a use for all the time because they don't. They're interested in making the character as strong as possible. They're in, in a way that makes the character feel as, like, badass as possible. Even a show like um, My Hero Academia does this. For as nerdy and, like, weird as Deku can be, his, like, when he levels up, so to speak, it feels like a leveling up, and, like, you feel this, like, badassness to him. You you don't, you feel his emotions, but you feel it through his anger, not through his relations to, like, his father, or, like, not through a childhood memory. You feel, you feel the fury instead of the growth instead of the personal growth. Now you might feel now oftentimes you feel the personal growth later, but the thing with um, Demon Slayer is when it's at its best is when it is about Tanjiro being genuinely kind to. Not just people who are closest to him, but to his opponent. 
and having like small moments of kindness that change people that that change the way he he feels about his opponents and the way his opponents feel about him there's um a great great moment and it, it's not the moment everybody talks about in the mount Han- hanagumo arc it's a different moment where he's they're fighting the first like spider demon family member and it's the mother and she's controlling all of these um passed out or dead um demon slayer corpse minions with like puppet string threads and after finding her Tanjiro gets like shot up into the trees shot up above the trees and finds her and he like is preparing a strike as he falls down towards her and he sees that she is fearful but welcoming death because you find out later that the younger brother is really the like the member of the lower twelve that is manipulating this whole family into being nightmares towards each other into being into being a family and like a faith forced ruled by fear family. And but so instead of striking with full for, with full like shown in action force, he realizes that there's no there's nothing to be gained by that. She she won't fight back. This is what she wants. This is what she needs to escape the life that she has been forced into. So he transitions to this. Small, slight, beautiful, almost kind technique that just ends it. And whereas one a, a different show would show her in like the blinding light of the of the attack, smiling, closing her eyes, and just fading from view, this show. Let's you let you know exactly what happened and let you see it and let you feel the kind of sad kindness that Tanjiro paid this demon and this and an enemy and a tough enemy. And I I think that's I think that's an important thing right now because the the world is full of terrifying nightmare things, and it's full of people willing to tell you that the world is bad and evil, and it that it's out to get you, and it's full of, you know, YouTube videos like top ten ways to die in your own apartment, top ten ways to die in your parents' house, like all these things that can be nightmares, and in this show the main character is all about being kind to everyone, thinking that the people, that not only the people closest to him deserve kindness, but that the world deserves kindness because there isn't enough of it in the world. And what's even more impressive is that the show builds this world that he exists in 
that is built on cruelty. The the Demon Slayer corpse. The way that they test to get into the Demon Slayer corpse is that they are thrust into a forest filled with demons that want to kill them. And if they make it out alive, they get to keep fighting demons for the rest of their lives until they wise up like 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 Uradoji and just check out. And in uh, the last thing I'll say, and then I'm going to cut it off, but in Urodoji, um, Tanjiro and actually Gyu's teacher, uh, the person, the person who they learned the water breathing style from, you get this sense that, especially after you see the way the Hashira act in the manga, that he couldn't deal with the cruelty of the Demon Slayer corpse anymore. He couldn't deal with the fact that everyone was so cruel as to just assume that something was going to be a certain way and to just not question the um the not question the validity of anything they were told and just be super soldiers on a mission um a perfect example of this is i forget her name but shinobu's like apprentice when she's chasing nezuko she is like hey that demon's not trying to eat me that's new oh well no reason to question it let's go murder it dead that's not so um the there's something I know from being a graphic designer who's been kind of like a skeleton crew for many companies, very big and even bigger than you think, and that is that the best freelance production designers that you can hire are not mindless puppets. They don't just do what they're told. They do do what they, they're told, but they do it with a kind of like careful eye. So, um, for example, when I was working at Macy's, I worked at Macy's for a couple seasons, um, they would, what they would bring me in for is organizing this big book of what they call planograms, which is how they plan the store every, every, like, season, seasonal rotation. And you'd go through pages and pages and pages of these things that were... PDFs and you put them into a document and create a giant, massive, like, PDF binder of these things. And every once in a while, I would come across something that was funky or weird or off. I'd go to my, I'd go to my boss, the art director of Macy's, and I'd say, like, hey, this looks weird. Does this look right to you? And she'd look at it and she'd say to me, she's like, no, that's very wrong. Thank you for catching this. Or, eh, it's fine, just, but it, it's fine, but I'll tell them not to do that next time they make these documents. Or she'd say, that is a little weird. You mind fixing that? And I'd fix it. Now, what a lesser product, production designer would do would just keep barreling ahead and... Every, every production designer has those moments where they're just like, I'm just doing the job. I've had them. Everybody has them. 
but by asking questions and by questioning what's in front of you, you can not just succeed, but thrive. And the overwhelming feeling you get with the Demon Slayer Corp, they, they are succeeding without thriving. And the reason why they're succeeding without thriving is because they aren't questioning the sheer cruelty of what they're doing. And you're led to believe that, Ta that Tanjiro isn't just good, it isn't just a good demon slayer, he's exceptional. But you're not, the show doesn't want you to believe he's exceptional necessarily for his, like, ability to breathe or perseverance, although those are there in spades, as they should be in any, like, shonen protagonist, or the equivalent thereof. The show wants you to know that he's exceptional because he questions the cruelty that he's told to do to others to others with a beating heart. And it, it just it struck me as a really unique approach to um to the kind of way to make a shonen action show. And I can see why it the show had kind of gone under the radar because that kindness the the show is a beautiful but that kindness gives the show a softer edge than shonen usually has and i can see why shonen action fans would for at first blush be like Ah, this doesn't seem as great as, like, say, Bleach, where it's just, like, big sword dude cutting shit in half. So if you haven't watched, um, if you haven't watched, um, Demon Slayer yet, you can watch it on Crunchyroll or Funimation. Um, but I would definitely recommend you check it out. Um, I want to thank, actually, Mother's Basement for doing the video that convinced me to watch Demon Slayer, like, catch up on Demon Slayer and actually start reading it again because I had kind of like I had also dropped off it because it just got to a place where I was like, I could take this or leave this, but I'm glad I stuck it through and I'll probably stick it through until the end. Um, but until next time you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, my name is Alex. If you like this podcast you can go Subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcast listening apparatus of your choice. Um, you can also rate us on iTunes. That really helps a lot. Um, but until next episode, talk to you later.